0: So if you have a Bible, you can go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, spend just a little bit of time there. As you're turning there, let me get you caught up on where we're at uh, over the last couple weeks as a church and and kind of how we landed here on this specific week, knowing uh, many of you would be here with us, and knowing specifically that that we wanted to talk to you, uh, especially you parents who have uh, participated in this this morning, uh, as well as those who, who got to kind of watch and witness this uh, and are, are thinking about that in their own journey in parenting. Maybe maybe you've been a part of that in the past, or maybe you're, you're still kind of navigating it, or maybe that's something that's on the horizon for you. Uh, no pressure, you know. I mean, you've been married a whole week now, so they're going to start asking you when the grandkids are coming, right? Like, And so <laughs> I'm just doing it for them. They, they're going to give me a 20 afterwards because I did that in front of all these people. Uh, and so so in this right, uh we we want to just encourage you, and so we built out uh, a series that that really kind of was foundational to who we are as a church. Uh, and so what we said last week was, was that, generally speaking, uh, all we do in, in our time together on Sunday mornings is, is we sing worship to the Lord, and then we worship the Lord through His Word, through the Scriptures. And so uh, we said foundational to what we're going to do on a week-to-week basis is we're just going to take some something from the Bible. We're going to read it and explain it and use that as an opportunity to uh, worship God and ask how that applies into our life. And so uh, because we kind of repeat that process over and over again, and that's been sort of the gist of how we go about things, uh, we wanted to just take a step back and ask why do we find such value in this, right? Why do we allow the scriptures, the Bible, to Control and kind of organize and navigate who we are as a people and what we do as a church. And so um, we said, let's let's take a couple of weeks to just kind of talk through that and look at that uh, and understand what it means. And so we started uh, last week and just spent some time talking about why you could trust the Bible. Why why among all of the world that exists today and all of the information that is is seemingly bombarded upon us and the reality of it is is that it's, it's really hard to know in any situation what's actually happening, what's actually going on, right? If you pay any attention, whatever sources of media you're kind of connected to, you know that there's always like a great deal of growing suspicion as to what is actually going on and what's being told to you, no matter what perspective you come from, that seems to be a growing reality. And out of that, I think there's a growing level just in a culture as a whole of, Distrust. Why can we trust anything? And so the appeal last week was that if you can trust anything, you can trust the scriptures. That ultimately, this would be the source that you would find trustworthy above any other. Source that this is where you ought to go. Um, in fact, if you missed last week and you're a reader and you want to just kind of grab onto something that might help you with that, we had a few copies of the book uh, out in front, a book called Why Trust the Bible. Uh, just grab one, take one with you. It's a gift to you, uh, an opportunity for you to kind of walk through some of these things that we said last week, as well as some other things that maybe reinforce that idea. Um, but ultimately, we said, first and foremost, you kind of kind of clear this hurdle that among all of the things that you could find as uh, information or encouragement or directive in the world, that this would be the one that is indeed trustworthy. We call it the truth and the standard of truth inerrant in its original manuscripts that it's going to be guiding us in all we do. And so out of that, We said, okay, so so what do you do with it? Uh, And this week, knowing that we had our young people here and knowing that I was going to get a little bit of an abbreviated time with you because of that, I said, what would be like the simplest thing that I could tell you about this that might help you in, in parenting? And maybe you're not parenting right now, maybe you're grandparenting, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, maybe you have no kids around you in any of your close circles, um, but you've got coworkers and you've got neighbors and you've got friends and you've got different relationships. What, what would help in all of that? And, and here's the, the thing that I want to, it's just simple, right? We'll just make two quick points today out of the scriptures uh, and try to try to walk alongside you in it. It's that you ought to know the Bible and that you ought to obey the Bible. That's it. That's that's all I'm gonna to try to impress upon you is that you and I ought to be a people who would know the scriptures and a people who would obey the scriptures. Let's let's start with knowing the scriptures and read this out of Second Timothy. Um If you don't know the history, 2 Timothy is a letter that Paul the Apostle, who who writes uh, more of the New Testament than anyone else, is sending to Timothy, someone that he has kind of trained up in the faith, left as a pastor of a church as Paul has gone on to plant new churches, and he writes letters to him encouraging him in his role and his job, uh, as well as his faith and what it looks like to walk forward in the Lord. And so a really practical letter filled with advice as to what it looks like like to live out a life of meaning in Christ. And so in 2 Timothy, as Paul's uh, really kind of reaching the end of his life, he knows that there's a likelihood that he's going to die soon. He's giving Timothy his final charge, his final words, and he's speaking to him about how he might go forward in life. And this is where he uh, picks up in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read it to you. It says, You, however, Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So he begins by saying, listen, you knew from a young age the truth of the sacred writings, the scriptures, the Bible, that is able to give you salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he he goes on to say it concisely this way, all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the person of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. His encouragement to Timothy was that he might know, he might remember, he might hold on to the sacred writings of the scriptures, knowing that they're inspired by God and that they're useful in so many ways for encouragement, for correction, for training in righteousness, that in it, it would equip them to live out the godly life, that he would know the scriptures. Now this isn't This isn't new in the Scriptures. In fact, it's a repeated theme throughout the Scriptures that what the Christian life would look like, in particular, what it would look like to teach and to train up people in Christ, was that they would know, learn, and remember the Scriptures. In fact, uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses is reading the law to the Israelites, this is some 2,000 years almost before this, and he, speaking to them the words of God, teaches them what is really the centerpiece of all of Judaism until the time of Christ, is this is the commandment. The statutes and judgments which the Lord has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going to possess it, so that your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. Keep all of his statues and his commands, which I'm commanding you, all of the days of your life. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that they may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today, now listen to this, shall be on your heart. He goes on to say, you should write them down places and you should talk about them in the morning and you should talk about them when you're eating and you should talk about when you're walking and you should talk about them at night that they should be written on your heart. They would be the constant recognition of what you do is that you would know the scriptures. Now, parents specifically, think about this. I think we go to great lengths to teach our kids the things that are important to us, right? And then we also go to almost no length at all uh, and they learn the things that are important to you through habit and circumstance and your demeanor and behavior, amen? Right? So, so some things that I desire deeply for my kids to learn, I will spend hours and hours and hours working on, right? Uh I I enjoy sports. Uh I don't I enjoy golf. I don't know if you call it a sport. We can argue about that later. I don't really think it is. Uh and so you just get my opinion. I play a lot of it. Um but in that from a young age right I decided that I wanted my kids to know how to play golf because maybe I could take them along with me and then I did a couple times and I'm like oh, I don't know if they need to learn this or not uh, it's just just a headache at that point right but but in that uh, I went to hours and hours and hours to try to educate them about this, right? Josiah and I will stand out there and he'll hold his hands and he'll try to ask me if he's got it the, the right way or if he needs to switch them. And we just do it again and again and again. I took golf clubs that I didn't want anymore and I cut them down and put new grips on them so that they were his height so that he could have them. I would take and set up little golf holes. I actually mow our lawn like different lengths so that he has something to hit at, right? Like I'm I'm in it, I'm invested in this, right? Because I, I have a deep desire for him to know what this is all about, right? And then there's, there's other things that like, I don't have to work hard to teach my kids, but by the very nature of who I am, it just flows from me that they might learn. So uh, they can tell you uh, what the Michigan football team looks like, what their colors are, uh, what the fight songs are, how they respond when they're winning football games, right? Like, they know what all that is, right? And I didn't have to, like, sit down and say, hey, like, we're gonna have, like, a coaching session on the best football team in America, right? Like, and teach them what that was like. I know, I know. It's Listen, they're gonna go like three and eight this year, so it's not worth talking about long. But in this, right, it just moves from who I am, right? I don't need to I don't need to work on that. It just is me. And so it is taught. Here's here's the recognition in the scriptures that that our deep desire as a church is that we would be about, is that both in intention and in happenstance, you would be someone who knows and teaches the scriptures to anyone that interacts with you. Right? That applies specifically to you parents who are uh, walking alongside, educating, training up your kids, but it applies to you in the workplace with a coworker right? It applies to you uh, in your neighborhood with someone who lives down the street. That out of everything you are, both in intention and even unintentionally, would flow a knowledge of and a communication of the Scriptures, knowing that it is ultimately inspired by God and what is profitable, what is useful, and that it is written in all places in your life, written on your heart, on your doorposts, when you walk, when you lie, that it would be what Proceeds forth from you that you would know it because because above all things uh, though I desire my kids to know how to play golf and though I desire to raise up another generation of misery and Michigan football fans right like I also desire above that on a far deeper level that they might know and follow the Lord and the truth of what he says amen and yet and and just Just a little bit of Baptist guilt, and then I'll reel it back in. But the reality is most of us don't live like that. The the reality is most of us are willing to spend more time teaching uh, how to fish, or teaching how to uh, work on cars, or teaching how to do this thing or that thing, or a whole host of other things to our kids before we're teaching them the Word of God. Amen? And so out of our hearts indicate our priorities. And so, so I would, I just encourage you, right, reel back in. I just encourage you to be in it, to teach our young people and to teach those around you in your life the truth of the scriptures. That's why when um, we give those gifts, right, like we specifically, we just give you a CD. Like that's a, I know that's like obsolete now, right, but that's like an easy way. Stick that in your car and like here's the scripture and they're learning the scripture, And it's by happenstance, right, that we would be consistently looking for opportunities to teach, to communicate the truth of who God is to anyone that might hear it. Now, along with that goes a second thing, right? Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, uh, that we would prove ourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Uh, in fact, he goes on to clarify it this way. He says, you believe that God is one. That's the verse we just read in Deuteronomy, right? The centerpiece of their religion. Hero Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. He says, you believe that and you do well. Then he says this, the demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, your, you foolish fellow, your faith without works is useless? Can I Translate that into our language. Here's the second thing that is recognized in this: that we would be a people who not only seek to know the scriptures, but that we would seek to obey the scriptures. That we would seek to find our guidance in the truth of what God says. Now, real quick, and we'll be done. I think there's immediately in that a couple things that we object to when you hear "obey the Bible." The first, the first is this. Um, that, that you just don't know enough of the Bible to actually obey it well? Right? Like, that's the, the circular chicken and egg argument is, right? Like, you just said, hey, I've got to learn the Bible. I've got to know the Bible. But I, I haven't even started that. I don't know anything about it. So how could I accurately obey the Bible if I don't know what it says? Well, let me, let me give you one story to kind of help you with this as you get started. Because I do think you should come to know the Scripture better. You should begin to read, begin to be disciplined, and begin to listen to it. Uh, but out of this, right? Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, is is interacting with a group of people known as Pharisees. They were, among all people, the most knowledgeable group in the world when it came to understanding the Bible. They knew it all. In fact, if you were Going to be a Pharisee, by the age of nine, you had to have the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, memorized. You could recite it from heart. By 12, you could recite the rest of the Old Testament from heart. You could memorize the whole thing, and then out of that, as they grew, they would need to learn all of the Midrash, the peripheral books around the Scriptures, and they they just knew it. In fact, they knew it so well that they would begin to design laws upon laws upon laws that were implied from the laws that they knew in the Scripture. And so, they were masterful at knowing the Bible, and they were masterful in their interpretation at obeying the Bible in its outline. Focus, and so they're really good, right? They've got this whole thing, and Jesus comes to them, and as he's interacting with them, which is repeatedly harsh, his interactions are harder with them than they are with any other group of people. Uh, one comes to him, listening to what he says, and says, asking him a question, testing him. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And and Jesus said to him, "You shall love." the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said, this is great, and the foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, then he says this, This is a really fascinating verse. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus says, you surmise the whole Old Testament, all of the instruction of the Bible in these two commandments, that you would love God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. You want to obey the Bible? Here's where you start. This the whole rest of the Bible is built upon those two foundational truths. Now, the second objection then comes from that, or it should, if you think about it for a moment, is that sounds impossible. And, and here's my answer. It is impossible. It is impossible to perfection, to love God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. And it is impossible to love your neighbor as yourself in all situations and circumstances. In fact, um, there's this this account in Luke chapter 10 about uh, a guy known as the Good Samaritan. Anybody heard that before? Listen, you don't have to be familiar with the Bible to know who the Good Samaritan is, Right? they got <laughs> my son i have yeah he's got that right here's here's the the story in a nutshell jesus is asked about this very command what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself the the man kind of challenging jesus says who's my neighbor and Jesus goes on, and if you remember, he talks about a priest and a Levite who see this man who has been robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and they both walk by on the other side. And then he speaks about a Samaritan. And he says, the Samaritan comes, and though he was on a journey, he stops. Though he uh, had some type of schedule, he finds the man. Though there was uh, a great deal of ethnic and racial tension at the time, and though uh, there was a great deal of cost for him to actually deal with this man who was a Jew and him a Samaritan who would not normally associate together, he picks the man up and he puts him on his own donkey. And then rather than riding, the man walks to an inn and he sets up with the man and cares for him and cleans up his wounds and takes care of him and pays for the night at the inn. And then when he goes to leave, he t- tells the innkeeper to take care of this man. Here's some money and anything else that he is owed at the end of all of this, I will pay you when I return. And and the uh, Pharisee is then taught, this is the man who was really the neighbor. This is the man who shows real love. And, and then Jesus says, go and do that. Right? And, and so often we read that as like, oh yeah, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. I don't think that's what Jesus intended as he told that parable. Here's, here's what I think he was getting at. You can't do that. You can't do that. Right? You ever pass by someone in a dire need? want see? Luis is leaving, so he's like, he's like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I this was t- almost 20 years ago now, and I still remember this guy's face. But I remember specifically, I was, I just got my driver's license. I was driving. I went to make a right hand turn at a stoplight, and there's a man in a in a van that. I can't believe you'd ever get that thing running in the first place. I mean, there's like rust everywhere on it. He's like disheveled and dressed uh, poorly, and it's, it's in a left-hand turn lane, and he's got the front door open with one hand on the wheel, and the hazard lights are on, and he just he just looks like life has just beaten him down. And he's trying to like push this van across a left turn into some gas station. And I remember just uh, early on in my walk with Christ just feeling like, you should get out and help him push. Just pull your car over, get out and help him push. And I, I just remember more than anything, feeling the Holy Spirit just kind of guiding me into that, saying, Oh, you get you gotta help this man. And I and I remember thinking it as I approached the stoplight, and I remember thinking it as I began to turn right, and I remember thinking it as I looked at him in the rearview mirror, and I remember thinking it for the next 20 minutes as I drove the rest of my way home and just left him to figure it out on his own. And there's been there's been hundreds of times since then, well, I sound like a horrible person. There have been hundreds of times since then I've passed people in need. That I've walked by, that I've neglected a situation, that I should have given up of myself and cared for someone else. Hundreds of them. I still remember that one. I, I believe I will to the day I die. You want to know why? Because I'm not a good Samaritan. Not always. And the truth is, neither are you. Truth, the truth is, we, we work so hard to convince ourselves that we could just be good enough, and yet, here is the overwhelming burden of the Scriptures. If you were to take it on and say, you can obey it. You can love the Lord your God, and you can love the neighbor as yourself perfectly all the time. I think it would be an exhausting weight that you could never, ever get rid of. That's what the Pharisees were realizing is that they could never achieve this standard that they had set even for themselves. Here's here's the truth of the Scriptures. You go back to 2 Timothy as Paul is encouraging him. He says this, that in the sacred writings, in the Scripture, it is able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Not through obedience, but through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Here was the truth of the Scriptures, the good news of the Gospel at its core, is that you ought to know this, and and you ought to obey it, but you can't. And so above all, you ought to place your faith, you ought to rest in the One, the only One, who ever did Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is this, that God so loved us that though we were guilty, though we fell short of obedience to what God desired of us, that he sent his son to earth to live the one life of obedience, the one life of difference, the one life without sin. And then in this, in his great love for you, he went and paid the price, the punishment for sin, so that you and I might have salvation in Christ. And so you ought to go forth knowing the Scripture. And you ought to go forth obeying the Scripture. But on the deepest level, that obedience can only be found when our faith is in Christ Jesus, the one who actually did it, the one who actually obeyed it, the one who actually achieved it for you and I. And so, let me finish with this. Among all the things, as as we think about dedicating children and families to in a life that glorifies God. The thing deepest and foundational and above all is that you would teach them the truth of Jesus Christ. You teach them not to live in guilt. You would teach them not to live in the burdens of their own uh, selfish ways, but you would teach them that real freedom, real salvation is found in Christ. Pray with me and listen. One more song before we close today. Lord, we know that we're meant to be a people who know you and follow you and obey you. And I I pray that we would continue deeply to desire to, to learn more about you, to study the truth of your scripture, to obey it in who we are. And I pray that we do so on on the deepest level and most foundational, knowing the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. That there was one who came, there was one who demonstrated perfect obedience, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that you gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every tongue would confess and every knee would bow so I, I pray that we would be a people, we would be a church body, invested, loving, caring for one another in such a way that we might honor and magnify and glorify You in all that we do. Help us with it, Lord. We can't do it on our own. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.